sometimes confuse it. We get it kind of mixed up between what the world would tell us about Christmas and what Scripture tells us about Christmas. Hence the message this morning, what would Santa Claus have to say about Christmas? Actually, the uh, legend of jolly old St. Nicholas, or Santa Claus as we know him today, began with a real person. I don't know if you knew that. His name was St. Nicholas. He was a Christian who lived nearly four centuries ago. Uh, Very little is known about St. Nicholas with certainty, except that during the first part of the first century, he was the bishop of the church at Myra, the city on the uh, southern coast of Asia Minor. You can actually read about Myra in the 27th chapter of the book of Acts because it's there that Paul was put on a ship to be sent back to Rome to be tried, only to have that boat crash on the island of Malta. Now, tradition says that St. Nicholas was put into prison because of his faith. This is during the persecution of all the Christians by the Roman emperor Diocletian. But then came another emperor by the name of Constantine the Great, He proclaimed Christianity as the official religion of the Roman Empire. Now, because of his reputation for generosity and compassion, St. Nicholas, or what we call Santa Claus today, came to exemplify the spirit of Christmas and the spirit of giving at Christmas. Now, our modern-day Santa Claus that we have today, I don't know if you know where that really comes from, that whole myth of a jolly old fat man with a sleigh and reindeers, kind of originated, well, right here in America in the 1800s due to some stories written by Washington Irving, some cartoons drawn by Thomas Nast, and a rather famous poem that was written in 1822 by Clement Moore. You probably know that poem. It starts out with these words, "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse.'" Well, I wondered as I prepared for this Christmas, I wonder if Santa Claus, the original one, St. Nicholas, were here this morning, what would Santa Nicholas say? Well, I think he might tell us at least four things, and that's what I'm going to share with you this morning. I think the very first thing he might tell us would be to look at our focus. To look at our focus. You know, there are really two holidays that are celebrated today. Uh, One of them is called Christmas. The other holiday is called Xmas. Those of you that know C.S. Lewis know that he wrote a short little book called Xmas and Christmas. The story takes place on the island of Nyatrib, which is actually Britain spelled backwards. And every winter, the Nyatribians would celebrate a festival that they called Xmas. They packed all the marketplaces to get ready for Xmas, They looked for cards. They looked for gifts for their relatives. And as the days went on, though, the celebration of Xmas finally took its toll. The people began to wear out. I mean, and some people actually missed the entire celebration of Xmas altogether because they were so tired or they'd gotten sick from eating way too much and drinking way too much. But, you know, there was another celebration, Lewis said, at the same time. It was called Christmas. It was a holy day, but it was really difficult to celebrate Christmas because Xmas was so exciting, so distracting. Well, today in 2008, nearly everyone in America celebrates Xmas. I mean, Christmas is still really kind of hard to keep a sharp focus on 
because Xmas is so very distracting, and because both holidays fall on the same day, some people actually still confuse the two. They're not sure what they're celebrating, Xmas or Christmas. In the last week or so, they've been rerunning an old Dr. Seuss book, actually made into a movie a couple years ago with Jim Carrey, starring as the Grinch. You know, the Grinch who stole Christmas. Now, if you know that story, in that story, that nasty creature called the Grinch steals all the presents, all the decorations, all the food in the little town of Whoville on Christmas Eve. And he did this in hopes that he could keep Christmas from coming. Well, you may remember the movie or may remember Dr. Seuss's book. And after he'd taken everything and drugged them up on the top of the hill, he's sitting there looking back down at that town, but a strange thing happened on Christmas. Christmas still came. Without the presents, without the decorations, without the food, and just like a whole lot of other people, the Grinch was really confused. See, he did not steal Christmas. What he stole was Xmas. See, it takes a conscientious and disciplined effort by those of us who call ourselves Christ followers at this time of the year to keep the main thing the main thing. To keep the focus on the primary event of the season, which was the coming of the Savior at Christmas time. I think one thing Santa Claus or St. Nicholas might say today if he were here was, friends, go back and look at Isaiah chapter 7, 14. It says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Not just a guess, but if he were here, I think he might also tell us a second thing. And that's to take a look at your faith. Take a look at your faith for a moment. And I say this because a lot of people work pretty hard teaching their children to truly believe in Santa Claus. I mean, in some houses, presents are not put out on Christmas Eve. Oh, no, they've got to put the kids to bed first, but that's after the kids have left their glass of milk and a plate full of cookies. And when they come down in the morning, magically, all of the presents have reappeared or appeared. The milk is gone. The cookies are gone. There's a stocking full of candy and fun. That is, if you've been nice and not naughty this year. And it all works out pretty good until the kids suddenly pick up on something. They kind of get together and they go, you know, the handwriting on the gift bags looks a lot like how mom signs her name on our birthday cards. And the kids suddenly get a little bit confused. I mean, either Santa is signing their birthday cards or mom is Santa Claus. I want to share with you something I read not long ago. It's one reason why believing in Santa Claus takes a whole lot more faith than believing in Jesus. This is from an engineer's perspective. I'm just going to read this to you. There are approximately 2 billion children under the age of 18 in the world. However, since Santa does not visit children of Muslim, Hindu, Jewish, Jehovah's Witnesses, or Buddhist religions, this reduces the workload for Christmas night to 15% of the total, or 378 million children. At an average census rate of 3.5 children per household, that would be 108 million homes, presuming there is at least one good child in each house. Santa has about 31 hours of Christmas to work with, thanks to the different time zones and the rotation of the earth, assuming he travels east to west, which would only make sense. 
This works out to 967.7 visits per second. This is to say that for each Christian household with a good child, Santa has around one one-thousandth of a second to park the sleigh, hop out, jump down the chimney, fill the stockings, distribute the remaining presents under the tree, eat whatever snacks have been left there for him, get back up the chimney, jump into the sleigh, and get on to the next house. Why, it's really pointless to stay up and try to watch for him. Now, now assuming that each of these 108 million stops is evenly distributed around the earth, which, of course, uh, we know to be false, but we can use these for our calculations. We're now talking about 0.78 miles per household, a total trip of 75.5 million miles, not counting bathroom stops or breaks. This means Santa's sleigh is moving at 650 miles per second, which is 3,000 times the speed of sound. For purposes of comparison, the fastest man-made vehicle, the Ulysses space probe, moves at a pokey 27.4 miles per second, and a conventional reindeer can run, at best, about 15 miles per hour. <laughs> the payload of a sleigh adds another interesting element. Assuming that each child has nothing more than a medium-sized box of Legos, two pounds, the sleigh is carrying over 500,000 tons, not counting portly Santa himself. On land, a conventional reindeer can pull no more than 300 pounds. Even granting that the flying reindeer could pull 10 times the normal amount, the job can't be done with eight or even nine of them, Santa would need 360,000 of them. This increases the payload, not counting the weight of the sleigh, another 54,000 tons, or roughly seven times the weight of Queen the Queen Elizabeth, that's the ship and not the monarch, 600,000 tons traveling at 650 miles per second creates enormous air resistance. This would heat up the reindeer in the same fashion as a spacecraft re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. The lead pair of reindeer would absorb 14.3 quintillion joules of energy per second each. In short, they'd burst into flame almost instantaneously, exposing the reindeer behind them and creating deafening sonic booms in their wake. The entire reindeer team would be vaporized within 4.5 26 thousandths of a second, or right about the time Santa reached the fifth house on his trip. <laughs> Not that it matters, however, since Santa, as a result of accelerating from a dead stop to 650 miles per second in .001 seconds, would be subjected to centrifugal forces of 17,500 Gs. A 250-pound Santa, ludicrously slim, would be pinned to the back of the sleigh by 4,315,015 pounds of force, instantly crushing his bones and organs and reducing him to a quivering blob of pink goo. Therefore, if Santa did exist, he's dead now. <laughs> now, do we make it easier for our children to believe in Jesus? Do we spend as much time working on their faith in the Savior as we might in putting their faith in Santa Claus. See, our children can learn so much about trusting Jesus in the way that they see us go about it. Rich Mullins is one of my favorite Christian artists. And he wrote a song, and he wrote something about his parents. And he wrote this, They worked to give faith hands and feet, but somehow they gave it wings. See, if Santa Claus, if St. Nicholas were here today, friends, he might point us to another Bible passage in the New Testament. He'd point us to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Here he's talking about Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Again, it's just wondering. But maybe if St. Nicholas or Santa Claus were here this morning, he'd also tell us we ought to take a look at our giving. Now, a substantial portion of our holiday gift giving occurs as an exchange. We give presents to other people who also give presents to us. And then there's that always famous, a gift for a gift gift. You know what those are? Somebody you were not intending to gave you a gift, and now you are compelled to give them a gift, that gift for a gift gift. So we also present presents to other people. But a truly sacrificial gift is something you give to someone who cannot give back anything in return. There's a legend about St. Nicholas that said he learned of a poor man who had three daughters, and they did not have enough money for food. So St. Nicholas prayed to the Lord to guide him in how he could possibly help that family. Then he remembered that he had a treasure of three bags of gold that he had inherited from his parents. So late at night, St. Nicholas came and went to the home of the poor family, found a window open, and slipped in a bag of gold that they were able to save enough from so that the oldest daughter could have a dowry ensuring an honorable marriage and still have money left over for food. When Nicholas heard this story, he went back the second night and he opened that window again and he put those remaining two bags of gold through the family's window so the other two girls could also be happily married. You know, some of the very best gifts are the ones that no one knows you gave except for you. Some of the best gifts are given to people who have nothing. I mean, maybe there's someone that you could give to yet anonymously this year in need. Maybe you could give something to a child who would have nothing to give to you. Again, I wonder if Santa were here, if he might not point us to another Bible passage. This one from the book of Acts, where Paul says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There's one last thing that I think Santa might say if he were here, and he would say, take a look at your love. Santa might tell tell us, you know, look, when you love me, your love costs you nothing. You turn me into someone who can give you anything, yet asks for nothing in return. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why Santa Claus is so popular, probably why grandparents are so popular, too. I mean, people picture them as great and wonderful helpers who just love to give things to little children. But love is costly. The Bible tells us that there is a link between love and obedience. And I told you earlier that St. Nicholas was imprisoned because of his faith during the persecution of the emperor Diocletian. And even though he doesn't have a whole lot in common with another person, let me tell you about another man who was imprisoned because of his faith. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor, a German pastor who was put into prison by the Nazis during World War II. He's written some very famous books, one of which is called The Cost of Discipleship. And in there, he contrasts two famous concepts, cheap grace 
and costly grace. He reminds us that cheap grace is that kind of religion that just believes that salvation comes easily just by believing a certain number of doctrines. Let me read you his own words. Bonhoeffer said, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without contrition. Costly grace, in contrast, declares that salvation is costly. It costs God, his only son, and it demands obedience, a life of discipleship, becoming a follower of Christ who takes up his cross and follows him. You know, friends, it's kind of hard to picture Santa Claus, actually St. Nicholas, in prison. But that's what Diocletian did to that great saint of the early Christian church. I mean, after all, what was St. Nicholas to say? Can you imagine his defense in front of Diocletian to say, hey, I'm the worldwide symbol of peace and love and joy and philanthropic activity. I mean, don't throw me in prison, you big old Roman Scrooge. I'm just a harmless figure that makes Christmas a wonderful holiday and for everyone to enjoy. I'm here to kind of soften that, that, that kind of exclusively Christmas nature of the birth of Jesus by making the celebration more acceptable to more people. Why are you so angry with me? But see, Diocletian found St. Nicholas to be a threat precisely because St. Nicholas was a Christian. His faith saw devotion to Jesus as being very costly, even worth the cost of persecution. If St. Nicholas were here again today, he might also point us to 1 John chapter 5. This love, this is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. What would Santa say to us? What would he say about the way that we celebrate Christmas? Someone has written it this way. And there were in the same country children keeping watch over their stockings by the fireplace. And lo, Santa Claus came upon them, and they were sore afraid. And Santa said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which, which will be to all people who can afford them. For unto you will be given great feasts of turkey, dressing, and cake, and many presents, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the presents wrapped in bright paper, lying beneath a tree adorned with tinsel, colored balls, and lights. And suddenly there will be with you a great multitude of relatives and friends praising you and saying, Thank you so much. It's just what I wanted. You know, it's sad in some ways that such a follower, a faithful follower of Jesus, has come to have more in common with the commercialization of American Christmas than he does with the struggles to keep the early church alive in the face of persecution. St. Nicholas's history, the Santa of history, would have pointed us instead to Jesus Christ and probably would have said something more like this. Look to the manger, not the mantle. See the Savior, not the sleigh. Find the Redeemer, not the reindeer the one lying in the hay. Try prayer instead of wish lists. Give thanks to God above. Try holiness this Christmas and sacrificial love. Worry more about your lifestyle than a stocking full of coal. Confess your sins to Jesus, and he will make you whole.
Well, let's join together at this time in an affirmation of faith, stating what it is that we truly believe. You see these words printed for you. On